Welcome to the Human Design Collective Podcast, where we explore this system as a unique map of our potential, from the mundane to the mystical. In today's episode, we talk with Kendra Current, exploring the practice of neuro-linguistic programming, human design, creativity, and the emotional process. Kendra is an NLP practitioner and human design guide, as well as an active and founding member of the Human Design Collective. She brings to us her unique depth, sensitivity, and perspective on being an emotional projector. Hi, this is Amy Lee and John Cole, and we're here talking today with Kendra Current. And Kendra, we thought it'd be interesting to get to have a conversation with you as a fellow human design coach and as someone who's had a lot of experience with some other systems and modalities and just get to talk about what we can see through these different systems. So uh, for those of you who may not know, Kendra is not only a human design coach, but also an NLP practitioner and someone who's been deeply steeped in human design recently, among other things. And she's also an emotional projector. So, uh, and we're all projectors here, so we can look at things through that lens as well. I thought maybe we could start with just you telling us a little bit about what uh, your experience has been like in terms of the different systems you studied and and how you came to human design. Sure. Well, I started out early on in my experience in the in the world of healing therapies as a therapeutic body worker and spent a lot of time hands-on and my cognition is touch in the human design framework. Mm-hmm. So I found that through my experience with hands-on work, I was really interested in getting into the psychology of what makes people's bodies move the way they do, hold tension the way they do, um, maintain its memory from life experience. And so that kind of led me down this circuitous path of studying many different kinds of somatic coaching and counseling and healing work that led me into much more of a kind of a talk therapy way of interacting with people. So I um, ended up going out to California for, I mean, many modalities later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I ended up, you know, in the land of NLP and NLP Marin in California, training with them and later working with them and really got to see kind of like open the hood and, you know, peel back the curtain and see what's going on unconsciously that leads to certain kinds of behaviors or the way that we orient to life in terms of what's possible for us or not. And so the NLP frame really comes from a perspective of what would we like and why do we continue experiencing the same challenges or patterns again and again throughout our life. So it was really interesting for me then to interstage left human design (laughs) where there's no choice and you know come to see well there's something much bigger happening than any individual perspective or really the perspective that the mind wants to uh, take on to hijack 
you know, the, the natural intelligence of the body. So it's been an interesting and fun dance to kind of live with those two bodies of work and appreciate both of those perspectives to approaching both like how we deal with challenges in our life and how we come to a greater acceptance and acknowledgement of an intelligence that we don't always pay attention to that can actually be there to support us rather than thwart what we're trying to do in our lives. Mm -hmm. I have heard a lot about NLP, but I've never actually experienced it Mm. myself directly. So can you tell us a little bit about what an NLP interaction is like or what a, what an NLP session is like? Sure. And, and maybe how that relates to this mind body thing you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I would actually imagine that a lot more people have experienced aspects of NLP than they think they have because it has really sort of infused a lot of different worlds and it comes from a modeling of different kinds of therapies that um, have proven to have results for people. So um, just taking and synthesizing those systems and um, being able to utilize them in a way that gets shifts for people in a way that maybe some other modalities don't. So when I'm in an interaction with a client, it can look any number of ways, but essentially it's, it's conversational. It's also me paying attention to the sound and the tone of their voice, the language that they're using to explain their experience, the reference experiences that they seem to keep going back to as something that's called like a highly valued experience that they have, you know, survived or had to grow a kind of resource to bounce back from in life. Usually those things are early on in our life. So throughout the course of a conversation, I'm looking at their eye accesses. I'm, I'm paying attention to their physiology and where they might be regressing to, to express a younger version of themselves, particularly um, when, when it comes to the relationship with, you know, what are they wanting and what is it that unconsciously is um, coming up in their mind that's stopping them from having the experience that they want. So we're, we're unpacking this as we go through the conversation and then identifying resources that would be beneficial to those aspects of self that have kind of cut themselves off from further learning. And when we re-partner those aspects of our, our neurological wiring with a resourced state, it provides for more freedom of choice in terms of where we put our attention and what we consider as possible for ourselves, our, our animal creature self and our, our higher conscious functioning. Yeah. I, I hope that came across in a way that made sense. Yeah. It sounds like really appropriate, I would say therapeutic work for a projector that that dynamic of really watching, really seeing, really paying attention and that type of just one-on-one interaction that you're describing. Has that been your experience as a projector? 
Yeah, well, I, I've never been anything but a projector. So I don't know. <laughs> What's it like for other people? I don't know. But definitely for me, I, I get really interested in going into the depths with people and picking things apart and um, understanding what's happening in someone's experience and really having a kind of respect for the, like the level of vulnerability that it can take sometimes to go to those places and so yeah both as a projector and as an emotionally defined being I think there's just kind of an art form to to being with people in a way that they can both feel safe and also have more of a bandwidth or behavioral flexibility to try on new things and let go of some of the old conditioning yeah I was just gonna say there's there's a way it sounds like other somatic modalities that I know of where the way you're describing it, it seems like you're as a practitioner, you're sort of watching and listening for what's there beyond just maybe what the person is saying or what they're aware of, which also seems like something very projector like that, you're kind of mm -hmm. using your aware awareness to sort of see see into the person and maybe see beyond or under the surface of things. Yeah, I think so often part of the places where we get stuck is in our blindness. It's the things that we have safely kept in the realm of the unconscious. And so it can really be helpful you know, human design brings the authority back to the individual. And I think that's really beautiful about strategy and authority in the human design frame. And it's also helpful sometimes to have a conversation with someone who can help us recognize our own ecology, the things that are impacted by things that we don't necessarily pay attention to in our normal waking consciousness. Mm -hmm. If we were going to say it in a way to relate it to human design, would you say it's almost like you're in a way it's like you're mapping and, and picking apart the conditioning that's there. Absolutely. Like very directly mm -hmm. because you know, as I mentioned, when I'm paying attention to someone's language and their physiology and the color of their skin or their, you know, the, the quiver in their voice or, you know, when they're talking about something that's very meaningful to them that calls up some kind of deep learning, experiential learning from their life, we can very specifically pinpoint experiences in their life where the conditioning actually started, where the imprints were made to begin with. Now, some of them are, you know, much more invisible in the sense of socialization and certain kinds of belief structures that come through the family line or the larger collective. Um, but those things are, are also, you know, everything's on the table. <laughs> it's all available to identify and talk about when we start to have this kind of a conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious about how the unconscious is looked at in the context of NLP versus human design and mm -hmm. 
how it's approached and, and dealt with or worked with. Mm-hmm. Well, I, as you asked that question, I'm trying to think about how human design frames the unconscious or the subconscious. Is that the distinction? The, but is, is there a distinction between the unconscious and the subconscious? There is in the land of NLP. And, you know, the, also the lineage through which I learned NLP, they also really incorporated the framework of family constellation work, which looks at the family soul and larger patterns of experience and behavior through the family line. And that material is pretty deeply unconscious. You know, so the subconscious is something that we might be able to become aware of, for example, in a state of meditation, if we just slow down and pay attention, um, or if we start to use our strategy and authority and look at the difference between what is my authority telling me and what is my mind telling me, we start to, those things start to pop for us and we go oh this thing that was unconscious to me just kind of a rote behavior is now becoming more conscious but the unconscious are things that are we have much less access to unless we're using certain kinds of frameworks to go there like through the constellation work does that answer your question yeah that helps from a human design standpoint the the simplest way I would tend to understand the unconscious is the body itself, the form. Right. Yeah. Well, in the land of NLP, we are very much tapping into the body as well um, through the portal of the conscious mind. So having a conversation with the mind in order to sort of track into where things have been stored in the body. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure we could continue down that rabbit <laughs> hole. <laughs> it's a juicy one. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like overall, as a, as a practitioner, you're really helping a person become aware of some of those forces beneath the surface that are contributing to the creation of their experience. Yeah, and why they keep like hitting the same roadblocks in life. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously we can deal with things very acutely too, in terms of trauma or anxiety or, you know, present day experiences, but also, you know, if someone is having certain kinds of relational challenges that continue to show up or health issues or challenges with, their relationship with money and resources, all of these things that can be so disheartening over time when we try all of the things that the so-called homogenized world (laughs) puts on our lap. Like if you just try this, you know, you'll be able to have this result. Mm -hmm. Well, is that really true? And if someone has tried all of those things to no avail, what's really going on underneath the surface that, is contributing to those limitations or that aren't necessarily theirs to whatever they're trying to go after might not even be something for them to live and experience, which is part of the wisdom that human design brings to the table too. Mm -hmm. 
that was sort of my next question. I'm, mm-hmm. Now I'm starting to, because it sounds <laughs> like really rich and very experiential work mm-hmm. doing with someone. It's like you're going into their real time experience creation with them mm-hmm. in a way. Then I'm curious about what did, as you encountered human design, what did that bring that was new or different or kind of shifted the way you were holding things from that NLP practice? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what did human design bring as you encountered that? Well, initially there was some kind of cognitive dissonance. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I think it can be that way for many people. Yeah. Um, what is this? What you mean? There's, what do you mean? There's no truth in the now, you know, as, as an emotional being, that was one of the first things I heard. And it just created this jarring sort of ping pong in my chest. I thought I was supposed to be clear, like mentally clear, know what I want, go after it, all of these things. And my training for many years, you know, looking back on it, now I see it's been an unraveling. So human design was very much the next step in that process. And I had to take a step back for a minute um, on that question of what would I like? And I create my own reality and this kind of self agency to be able to lean into the surrender of what does it mean when my mind is no longer in the driver's seat, (laughs) when my mind is no longer in charge. And since then I've circled back around to the beauty of what it is to identify proper creational authority in the sense that it's significant and essential, I think, that we find a way internally to orient to life that in a way that's affirming and to still allow visions to come, to allow creative energy to flow but not necessarily out of a sense of what we think we want because of the result that it will get us. And so human design has offered a frame that can certainly be uncomfortable, particularly in the deconditioning process, um, which I think NLP very much helps with actually. It, it It is a very, you know, the, the mechanisms of NLP and what it can do directly works on re-imprinting and working with the deconditioning process. But understanding all of that from the perspective of someone's design and what they're here to live and, and that they're not bad or wrong for having certain kinds of propensities or experiences in life and that there's a unique intelligence and genius in each individual Um, I think everything in my training and, you know, even then stepping into human design has just continued to reinforce the sense of being able to love oneself. That's really what it all comes down to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel like having the human design map uh, kind of accelerated the process a bit or did it, did it give you a way to see your clients as you're working with them? I mean, some, I come from a somatic therapeutic 
background as well. And I guess I'll share my view first. I, I could see that once I found human design and then looked back on the really skillful therapeutic modalities I had seen and practitioners I'd seen at work, it seemed to me like they were getting after this teasing out of the true self and the not self naturally. Like that yeah, was, yeah. that's what all of those modalities are going after. They are, they are going after a, a deconditioning process and a way to get access to the, to the true self or the true nature. And then it seemed to me like human design, if those practitioners has, had had that as a map, like it almost could give them a little bit of a leg up on, mm-hmm. on being able to see some of those patterns right away without having to kind of play around with it for a while to get to it. Does, mm-hmm. Is that what your experience has been like I'm, I'm curious about what the map does for that experience of working with someone's deconditioning process yeah well I, it's funny my mind's going back to when I was in theater <laughs> so I studied theater was a theater major in college and hmm. I said I bring this up because I don't know why I'm bringing up <laughs> I'm bringing it up because it's it's arising um, <laughs> We, we did dramaturgy and studied the ins and outs of the storyline and the characters and then picked apart the set design and how things are crafted to create an experience and talked about the fourth wall and all of these things. And at some point, you're far along enough in your training, it's like you can't go back to unseeing what you see. You can't go back to seeing a theatrical production and just enjoy it for what it is. (laughs) You know what went into it. Mechanics. And so, yeah, human design, it's like you get to see the mechanics. You can't put it back in the box. (laughs) Um, And so it's actually, in a way, there's, there's a little more patience in working with clients when I see their design and I see where their mind wants to take them in their own process and where I see where that's coming from because I have their design in front of me and, and getting in a way to use that as an opportunity for a light touch kind of guiding back to the true self. And I can also hear their not self speaking through the lens of their design versus you know, what we talked about them wanting to create something because they think they want it. So yeah, it's, it's brought things deeper. It has accelerated things. It's brought a kind of a nuance. And again, like therapy, therapeutic modalities have tremendous value. And so does the authority of the one who's living the experience. And so getting to have that and transmit that to someone so that they can take what they experience in a session back into their life and practice with it. I think that offers a kind of support and an orientation back to self versus always reaching for someone else to do it for them. So that's, that's a whole other rich conversation too. (laughs) it makes me curious about what it would be like and I don't know if you do this or if this is how you use human design but what it's like to know someone's design and be able to use it in interacting with them without even having to like go through it and show it show it to them 
love that question. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there are those that come directly looking for an explanation of what this crazy math is. And then, and then people who are willing to share their birth information, but they're not necessarily coming for human design. But when I have an opportunity to sort of digest that and sit with that map and then talk with them, it definitely brings the conversation to another level. And and I'm curious too about the way that you work with people in that regard. Like how much do we actually have to teach them their design versus just give them something to work with. Not everybody wants to learn the ins and outs of all the minute details. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, that was one of the things that was taught in the analyst training uh, that Amy and I did that we're not educating the client on human design. We're not teaching human design. And that's been an interesting thing to work with for me because I'll tend to go into explanation mode and want to break it down and share my understanding of this, you know, amazing map, but I don't feel like that's always what's needed or what they're coming in for. It's often not. Yeah. They don't come to design because just because of an interest in design, (laughs) usually shit's hitting the fan or, or they're wanting something more for themselves or uh, the people they love. Mm -hmm not to change the subject too much from uh, NLP, but you're also a artist, a musician, Mm -hmm. a singer, paint, probably do other things I'm not aware of. But what I'm interested in is as an emotionally defined person, what has been your relationship with creativity and art through the emotional process? Well, my mind (laughs) wants to relate it back immediately to what we've already been talking about in the sense of like, I've always been a creative person and kind of considered myself to be a creative person, but at different points in my life, I thought this is the thing I need to do with my life. This is the way that I'm going to make money, or this is the way that I'm here to change the world. And when I can like let off of that a bit, (laughs) it helps to just move the process of emotionality and that emotional wave through my being in a way that I can give in to the timeless quality. So I have the tribal wave. It's timeless. I can give in to the timelessness of just being in the creative process and let myself feel without knowing what the result is going to be without having to craft the perfect lyric or the perfect song or without, you know, the, the painting have to come out in a certain way. It's just letting myself emote. And then the result of that is some kind of beauty (laughs) or some kind of, you know, color and sound and, and matrix of something that didn't exist before. And I think it helps me maintain some sense of sanity and also get in touch with some kind of sense of self that's beyond definition. I have also an undefined G center. And so 
not having, you know, a consistent and clear way that I can self-identify, uh, it keeps things moving in a way that I think brings joy to my life and also gives me permission to feel the depths and the, you know, the result of that is actually people responding to it in a way far beyond what I could contrive in trying to sell them something, even though I have the gate of the saleswoman, you know, it's, it's like, it comes naturally. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I love, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I just wanted to say, I, lo- I love the way you're saying that because thinking about working with people with emotional definition Mm -hmm. and in human design, having this process where it's about wading through that emotional wave and, and that emotional chemistry and experience to get to a place of clarity. And I think sometimes there can be so much focus on when am I going to get the clarity or when am I going to know, when am I going to land on what my truth is? And then I'm going to know what I'm going to do. And sometimes it feels like there can be so much focus on that, that the actual experience of the emotional movement kind of gets missed. And I can really feel that through what you're saying, where it's like, oh, if I, if we're not too focused on the result, you can actually enjoy all these different points on the wave that are bringing I mean, and you can, I can feel it just in talking to you, the emotionality and the sensuality and the richness of it and the depth of it, that you could actually just enjoy the process and then trust that it's going to land when it's going to land. And in the meantime, you might just enjoy your life. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I, I, it also makes me think of like the um, kind of the tortured artist archetype, you know, mm-hmm. and how much just richness and depth and beauty the, the rest of us get to experience from what comes out of that. Like I, I almost feel in this moment a kind of gratitude to those who are emotional and willing to to actually explore it and experience it and express it so that the rest of us can be part of it or, or get to feel it too. <sighs> I love that so much. <laughs> yeah. I, I've spent a long time really judging the emotional process mm-hmm. and feeling so uncomfortable feeling so that's been a part of my deconditioning to appreciate it in the way that you're reflecting now that there's something in that for humanity and it's not to be pushed aside but to be fully welcomed and to bring that that it's actually healthy (laughs) to go there and not rush the process Thank you. Yeah. It's pretty beautiful. I I can almost as an open emotion, as a complete with a completely open emotional center for myself. When I sense someone else just fully being in their emotional experience and not having that judgment about it, but almost being surrendered to it and seeing what comes out of them. It's like, 
I can almost start to feel like hungry for it. Like, oh God, I don't have that. Like, I want to eat that. <laughs> that looks, <laughs> even, even when it's a little like tortured or crazy or, you know, whatever it is, it's intense. Yeah. But mm. when it's, when it's pure like that, you know, when it's not sort of convoluted or distorted by some kind of judgment or mental interference or something like that, there's something about it that feels actually pretty nourishing. It tastes better. It does mm-hmm. taste better. And it simply mm-hmm. tastes better and yeah, cleaner. Yeah, it's something to, to both experience and behold from my perspective when you see an emotional being like just owning it and, and going with it as opposed to like we're discussing like suppressing it or bl- turning it into some sort of blame situation. Mm-hmm. For me, there's a palpable difference. Or turning it into- inside, listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just keep stroking the emotional part. <laughs> so beautiful. So wonderful. <laughs> the, the thing I was going to say, which I, you, you already really touched on, but the way you were describing working with music and your art and the creative process is such a good metaphor for the emotional process of being it, it being more of an exploration and staying with each moment of the process rather than getting focused on the outcome or the destination. Mm-hmm. And then the, the energy seems like it would move more in that case. It would just Absolutely. flow and just express. And then you can kind of go on a ride and just watch or witness it. Like, oh, this is what's coming up now. And there's a beauty in that. And like we're saying, it, it, there's, a, there's a qualitative frequency to it as well. In this time of the Rona queen coming through, (laughs) I'll affectionately call her, (laughs) and all the medicine she's bringing to the world right now, Um, yeah, it's like, oh my gosh, we're all going a little crazy, and we all have the opportunity to experience things in a new way, and everyone's off the rails in a way, and, and life is on pause, and that has brought through something new in my creative process too that has amplified this experience you're reflecting to me right now just being able to be with it um like everyone's slowed down right now and so having that level of i mean there's still a freneticness in the field and there's there's also slowness and pause and looking at how we're doing things in the world and I think a lot of artists are getting, you know, a lot of mileage out of this shift in the collective frequency and, and what it's doing for our art. So that, that also comes up in this conversation. What you're saying kind of reminds me of um, how the, the mutative process in human design is, is talked about, like through the channel of mutation, the 360, how the mutation is actually happening in between the pulses in the spaces in between or like when when we look at like individual melancholy for example and that melancholic in between period being a i guess you could say a kind of a fertile space for the creative process in a way and when i think about the you know what's happening in the world everything being on pause shut down we've got seemingly more time on our hands like like, just like you're saying, what's, what's being birthed right now? What is coming into form? 
seems like nothing's happening, but I, I don't believe that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's something happening. <laughs> yeah. There's also something that's coming to me from you saying that, John, about what gets birthed from limitation. That almost like if there's no limitation, nothing gets created. And you can see like if you look at the root center in human design and how many of those gates have themes that have something to do with some kind of constriction or contraction or limitation, you can almost feel the like squeezing (laughs) that's happening and the pressure at a certain kind of pressure, but the way that contraction or limitation is there, that it, it, it almost pushes something out of us. You know, we, when we meet that, then that's where something gets born, you know, or that's where something, something new arises or something gets creative or some impulse comes to life. If we resist or deny those limitations, we don't, we don't have that opportunity in the same way. Thank you, Kendra. You're welcome. Was there more? Did you have more to say? Oh, no, I was just going to say that I'm enjoying the way that the wave has moved in this conversation and the stillness that we've come to here. I can't help but also contemplate a little bit the nature of where the emotional system is headed and the mutation that's happening right now mm-hmm. in the emotional system. Yeah. But we'll leave that for another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank you. This has been very yummy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I can almost feel the dynamic of like and a and a, a a clear emotional process, and then you know the amplification of it through the mm-hmm. through the open emotional, and that's a pretty beautiful thing. It's like you know, if I smoked, give me a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. sighs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, more, definitely more to come. Sounds good to me. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Human Design Collective podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please review us and share. For more information about us and to connect with others on this experimental journey, please visit us at humandesigncollective.com. You can also learn more by exploring our course and workshop offerings at courses.humandesigncollective.com. Music for the Human Design Collective podcast, courtesy of Role Model. For more information, see the show notes. And please stay tuned for more upcoming episodes on the same channel.